Hey ladies and gents, welcome back to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. And in today's show, we have an absolute treat. Mr. Dominic Morasco, otherwise known as Nick, who is the Executive President and Chief Commercial Officer at Envision Pharma Group. Uh, Nick and I have known each other for a few years, and he is quite the character, to say the least, one of the most respected deal makers in the biopharma space. And a bit of background on him, he is an entrepreneurial executive and has more than 25 years of executive experience in C-suite, strategic planning, commercial operations, global business development, clinical phase three trial design strategy, alliance management, financial resourcing, and P&L oversight within the pharma, biotech, and medical device industries. Prior to joining Envision Pharma Group, he served as Chief Commercial Officer at BioAgilics, and in his tenure, he was actively involved in two buy-side acquisitions and three integrations, as well as a seller-side sale of the company to a new PE owner, all within just a 24-month time frame. Prior to that, he served as Executive VP and Global Business Development Commercial at Cineos Health, where he led the overall strategic direction of the global business development team for the commercial divisions, both in the US and internationally. He has also previously had, uh, held a head of US sales for the neuroscience business unit arm at Amgen, and prior to global commercial head Amgen Biosimilars. Nick has also had commercial positions at Sandoz, Biopharma, and Novartis Company. And if that is not enough, he received his bachelor of science and pharmacy from Philadelphia College of Pharmacy and science and and is an alumni of the Harvard Business School Advanced Management Program and he resides in Nevada. He truly is a great, great guy and I'm excited for you to hear today's episode. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a kind rating. Enjoy. Nick, finally welcome to Molecule (laughs) to Market. (laughs) Roman, great to talk to you. It's been... uh... You know, it's been a, it's been a while since um, I've been asking you to get on this uh, your your, your, pod, <laughs> your podcast here. And you've, you've been waiting for the right opportunity, right? Well, for my listeners, Nick is telling a fib because I have been trying to get Nick <laughs> on the podcast for about three years. So I'm absolutely delighted to have you here. And uh, yeah, Nick and I are, are good friends. We've shared wine together. We've had some great conversations, and so it seemed like a great time at the start of the year of, of 2024 to get Mr. Morasco on the show. So Nick, for our listeners that don't know who you are, give us some of the backstory. How did you get into the sector and talk to us about some of your kind of milestones kind of on the way to where you are today at uh, Envision Group? Yeah. So, you know, boy, it's it's been a long road, Ramon. Um, first of all, before I start, I would be remiss if I didn't say to you, uh, in a more public forum, so many congratulations to you on RA marketing and the podcast and the book. Um, you know, it's been just great to kind of sit back and and watch the tremendous impact you've had on our industry and the success you've been able to recognize as a result. So, I'm actually, it's as a friend, I'm, I'm it's very nice to be here and have this conversation with you today. Um, you know, my career has been an interesting one. It started out as really a pharmacist. I did clinical pharmacy and pharmacy school, and uh, I graduated. I entered the industry fairly quickly um, as a drug rep with with uh, Eli Lilly. And from there, I've 
been through a number of entrepreneurial endeavors. Um, you know, I'd say more recently, you know, 50% of my career, five zero, uh, has been on the sponsor side of the business. Um, later on with Novartis at Sandoz Biopharmaceuticals and later Amgen. And the other 50% of my career has been on the service side of the business um, with Inventive Health and um, back again when they were Cineos and Bioagilytics and now Envision Pharma Group. So, you know, my, I, I've been very fortunate, I would say, Ramon, you and I have talked about this on a number of occasions. I've been very fortunate that my, my career has spanned everything from clinical and bioanalytics and uh, phase three trial design all the way through, you know, nearly, nearly every commercialization role, um, either from the service side of the business or the sponsor side of the business. So, uh, and that ultimately, you know, led me to the role I'm in now with uh, Envision Pharma Group. So let me ask first, you're, um, you mentioned you did clinical pharmacy. Does that mean that there was a chance that Nick Morasco could have ended up in a CVS somewhere in the US or was that never a ever because <laughs> that that would have been quite <laughs> quite the yeah. Yeah, different different routes to take. So Ramon, in fact, Nick Morasco did work for CVS in the US. I did. I can I you know it, through pharmacy school I worked at both Pennsylvania Hospital um and I worked at CVS and then post graduation I actually was a retail pharmacist for a short period of time at in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, for for CVS until uh, until I joined the ranks of Eli Lilly. Wow, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, Roman, trust me, I'm not sure that's a role you would want to see me in today. Just for the record, no, I, and that's not a role I would ever expect you to be to be doing. And so, so you mentioned something interesting there was that kind of if I look at the early start or the early phase of your career, you obviously spent a lot of time. On the sponsor side, did you did you all, always envision that you would um, kind of transfer into the more service provider side of the market? Was that always part of the plan, or did that just was that just an organic development? You know, Ramon, it was organic. It, I would say my my career was never a chess game. Um, I, I never really inherently played out what my next move was. Um, I, I think opportunities presented themselves um, based on my growing level of expertise in certain areas at a given time. So for instance, early on with biosimilars, starting back at my years at Quintiles Innovex and was my first introduction to, back then they weren't even called biosimilars. In fact, they weren't even called follow-on biologics. They were called uh, generic biologics. And then later moving into um, Novartis and building out Sandoz Biopharmaceuticals with a great group of people. And then after that, going into Amgen Biosimilars. And so it just, my career was always kind of um, managed to grow in a way that was organic. But but I think the reasoning for that too was I was always kind of a student of wanting to learn more. Um, I, I You know, early in my career, I never focused on the money. I never focused on the titles. Those those that know me and worked with me and still work with me to this day, I would say, um, I always wanted to learn something that I didn't know. And you know, um, back at Sandoz when we when we launched the U.S. Sandoz Biopharmaceuticals, um, you know, I, I couldn't learn enough about managed care. I couldn't learn enough about the hub business. And you know, I learned hub from Pat Leary. I learned. Market access and managed care from Tino Quintero, and 
you know, I learned general commercial operations from Mike Castagna. And, and I, I just, you know, my career was always about learning and being a jack of all trades uh, and a master of all. <laughs> but, um, you know, and I think that that just, you know, led led me back and forth from the sponsor side to the service and back to the sponsor and back to the service. And, you know, over time, it just, you know, you, I, I've just, I've been very fortunate in my career um, to be able to take the route that I did. And I'm going to come back to that sponsor side piece in, in a moment. But one thing you mentioned there is, you know, being a student of wanting to learn more. And I, I did notice in kind of researching, aspects of you that I, I didn't know and I actually did know this about you but it really aligned with what you just said there I noticed you did a uh, an advanced management program at Harvard uh, I think it was about a year and a half ago and what what struck me about that is you know I've known you as someone who has you know, developed an incredible career in senior management and yet you went back to school so to speak to study advanced management so and I personally think that's a great example for, for people listening. So talk me through your reasons for doing that and what did you learn from that program that that you've been able to bring into your into your kind of career since? Yeah, so it did it did happen later in life in my career. I would I believe it was forty seven or forty eight years of age when I decided to go back. Um, many years ago in in my career two different employers uh, had sponsored me for the Wharton Executive MBA program. And at both of those points in my career, we were simply too busy building new businesses from from the bottom up that I just didn't have the time to commit. And, and at that point in my life, I would also say, Ramon, that I felt that I was learning more in, in my current role um, with the companies whom I'd worked for versus you know, taking the two years off and go back to the executive MBA. And so it was, it was later on, it was something that was always a desire. Um, but, you know, I figured in due time, I would have the opportunity to, to experience it. And so um, when we sold Bioagilytics um, back in 2021, I had decided that, you know, the time felt right. And I evaluated a number of different programs and, and the, the, um, uh, Harvard Business School Advanced Management Program, for me, was the one that intrigued me the most. And, and you know, I learned a lot. It, it, it's a fantastic program. I'm not sure I would have learned as much. Ramon, I think you and I had spoken about this at a bar in London. I, I'm not sure I would have would have learned as much in my 30s as I did in my 40s, but it was something for me that was very fulfilling and, and filled a gap, I think, in my own personal uh, ambition that... Uh, I was hoping to for quite some time. No, it's it's a great example and congratulations on on that achievement. And you said two two phrases there, building businesses and selling bioagilytics, which is where I'd like to go next. You and I originally met when you were chief commercial officer at bioagilytics and I was astonished by the growth of this business. So and it and I believe it's very much one of the success stories in the kind of private equity and MA space. So give give our listener some insight into the growth trajectory that you experienced at Bioagilytics. Anything you can share obviously publicly about the success of the transaction as well and, and how, where that business kind of came from and went to because it is a really phenomenal story from, from what I understand. 
Yeah, so limited in, in some things that I can share uh, for obvious reasons, but I would say Bio, Bioagilytics was a great company with great leadership. Jim Dayton was the CEO. Uh, he was an experienced CEO. He had been there for many years. Um, Afshin Safavi was the founder and still relatively actively involved um, with with Bioagilytics at the time I joined. Frankly, I, I believe he still is. Um, but it was um, a really smart company, right? And it's it was one of those companies, Ramon, that I still feel was one of the most um, fortunate opportunities of my career to get involved with a company at that stage that was really on the tipping point of growth. Really, I mean, Bioagilytics saw that hockey stick. They were right on the uh, the verge. And um, the, globally, they were um, one of the best at what they did in, in um, bioanalytics work, assay development, biomarkers. Um, one of the smartest companies. Um, the employees just were passionate about what they did. Many of the employees were there from the very early years. Uh, of the founding of the company with Afshin. And, um, you know, it was it was certainly a darling in uh, in the industry at the point where um, the the company was uh, was looking to sell. Um, it was owned at the time by, by Kobipa and GHO. And really two great partners who I would say um, invested wisely in the company and the leadership team. And I still believe today Bioagilytics is one of the best companies out on the market. I think they'll continue to do great things. Um, the sale of the company was really spectacular. It deserved to be. It was, it was, and is a great company. Um, and but for me, what I learned was I worked with a great leadership team that was there at the time. Um, I worked with great employees who were passionate about what they did. Um, they cared about the design and the development of. Uh, the work that they did and the application to human health and life sciences. And so um, I'm not sure, I, I'd be very fortunate to find a, another opportunity like I found at Bioagilytics. And frankly, it's one of the reasons that attracted me to Envision Pharma Group where I am today. Envision Pharma was is very much today as a global leader in medical affairs and value access advisory and life sciences commercialization advisory. It's it's exactly where bioagilytics was several years ago when I joined. And that to me, I'm attracted to the building and the growth opportunities for for companies like like EPG and, and what was bioagilytics. Well, thanks for sharing that. And yeah, what what a team that you worked with. And I love what you said there about working with great leaders and and, and employees and every interaction I had with the, that business was always very positive. So no surprise that the business continues to be successful. And you you almost answered my next question, which is I know you and I, when you left Bioagilytics, we had a few conversations and there were so many avenues for you to go down at that point, Nick. I mean, you're almost overwhelmed with opportunity. So what was it about Envision Pharma Group? What was it about this particular business, this particular opportunity? Appreciate what you've just said there. Echoes of what what you found when you went to Bioagilytics. But you know, you could have probably gone to any business across the whole drug development spectrum, or just particularly on the contract services side, you could have walked into any CRO, probably any CDMO, any commercialization partner. So why Envision and you know why why this particular organization? Yeah, so uh, well, first of all, I appreciate I appreciate the confidence. I, I wish I had you as my as my coach uh, back then. But 
Um, no, look, I, I, I agree with you. I think I, I was presented with a number of opportunities, both on the sponsor side of the business and the service. Um, I, I think at that point, I was fortunate to be able to take a step back in my career and determine what I wanted to do. What was my passion project? Well, where, where did I want to invest my professional time um, to really continue to grow as an individual and a professional? and contribute the best to a company that contributes to life sciences and human health. And, and, um, you know, I, I, there was a number of, of boards that were of interest. There were, um, a number of service companies that were of interest, but I, I received a call from GHO, uh, Mike Mortimer, um, who's one of the founders of, of GHO. And, um, you know, he and I go back some years. Um, I've, I've known Mike, not, not closely, back at his quintiles days, but I knew of Mike and then subsequently through the years um, at Bioagilytics and as well. And, you know, um, Envision Pharma, when it was introduced to me, uh, was a company very similar to the types of companies I like to get involved in. Great leadership, really good investors, uh, not just GHO, but Mubadala. Um really, really highly intellectual employees. There's nearly, there's over 1400 employees today. Um, and the focus of the company was not just revenue growth, not just getting bigger, but it was building a business that contributed to advancing molecules through the development continuum and seeing them come to market. Right, establishing the best um, medical affairs strategy, scientific content, um, the, the best value access advisory, and, and from two labs and Riparian and, and our strategic consulting group, really working with emerging clients and large and mid-sized biopharma companies, and establishing just the, the best go-to-market strategies. And so, for me, when I when I really thought Ramon, and again these are topics that you and I had talked about for for many months after I left I left Bioagilytics was where did I want to invest my time? It was to work alongside people that were going to be as passionate as I would be with investors that were committed to the growth of an organization. Um, truly, one of the hands down uh, one of the best private equity companies. Is, that I've ever worked with and, you know, really committed to the growth of a company. Um, and so that ultimately is what swayed me. I, I unfortunately didn't take as much time off as I was hoping and, and maybe, you know, uh, my family was hoping, but, um, you know, I, I was fortunate to be able to jump back into a great company and contribute. And that's kind of where we're at today. Thanks for sharing that. And you've mentioned a little bit about, you know, what Envision pharma group does so you know for our listeners that have not come across the business before and it is a sizable business as you you know as you mentioned in terms of employees global presence what are the what should our listeners know about the organization in terms of its capabilities in terms of its breadth in terms of how it how it typically adds values to to clients yeah it's a great question Ramon. and you know without making this a a very promotional discussion with between you and i most people historically. That's okay, Nick. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a marketing guy. You can be his promotion. <laughs> <laughs> but right, but I'm not. So uh, you know, it's funny as a as a 
chief commercial officer in, in multiple roles. I, I often find myself one of the least promotional people. But um, you know, a lot of people historically, um, if you if you say Envision Pharma Group, who are they? You know, they we're well known globally as a publications firm, um, and um, you know, our as a technology platform for medical affairs with our data vision, I envision uh, do doc um, platforms as well. But what a lot of people don't know about vision pharma, and this was something even I didn't know uh, envision pharma was a client of mine um, in, in previous roles when I was on the sponsor side. And what I didn't even know is the company is well over 1400 employees. Um, we have 14 offices across four continents um, you know, we currently company has uh, just uh, for competitive reasons, I'll say, you know, well over 400, you know, clients across the pharma, uh, mid the large pharma, midsize and emerging market uh, space. And so, um, you know, the company is well known in the area of medical advisory, medical affairs advisory. And as I said prior as well, value and access and really strong life science commercialization consulting. So um, the, the, the company I'd say is, you know, it's like an iceberg, right? What people tend to know about Envision Pharma um, sits above the waterline and, and really what we do and how we support our clients goes far below. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. So let's go a bit more into depth. So I, I did notice Envision had made some interesting kind of acquisitions over the last few years. And the two that that looked particularly interesting from my perspective were a company called Two Labs. And then very recently, an AI business called Okra, which is clearly very topical at this present moment in time, Nick. So just, I'd l- love you to talk about those two businesses. If you want to start with two labs and then then maybe move on to Okra, because I think that will lead us down an interesting pathway about talking about AI, which is obviously something very topical for many of our listeners at the minute. You know, it, it's interesting. Envision Pharma Group, um, one of the greatest components of their success has been really good acquisitions over the years. So they've built some, you know, really strong technologies and organic growth has been fairly strong over the past 10 plus years. But they've made some really wise acquisitions, which I think have only strengthened and contributed um, to the real success that the company has has realized. So one of those areas you mentioned, two labs. And then, you know, two labs went on to acquire Riparian. Um and really strong. One of the, in fact, I would argue one of the um, strongest uh, players in the value access space here in the U.S. Um, Two Labs Pharma Services, well known for their commercial launch expertise, compliance, uh, medical affairs, and communications, their market access and market intelligence. Um, they've their organic growth has been um, really strong, especially in the emerging space where you know the client base is in such you know desperate need of the services that they provide and then riparian coming in um subsequently has only strengthened the value access component um within um within the two labs business and you mentioned you you mentioned okra and 
Um, okra was, I would say, an unexpected acquisition externally. It made a lot of sense and makes a lot of sense for Envision Pharma, which was really one of the reasons that um, we initially engaged uh, Okra in regards to uh, acquisition discussions. It was, um, you know, an, an AI company. It was Okra.ai, um, a global organization, um, the global leader in in AI uh, within life sciences, and um, they developed what they called four brains that really focused on creating efficiencies um, within the pharma go-to-market and then post-go-to-market in asset management um, around insight gathering and uh, establishing really good decision-making um, for members for members within pharmaceutical biotech companies of all sizes, large, mid-size, and emerging. The, the four brains that they focused on, one of their most well-known brains, and it's actually um, one of the most sought-after services within EPG is the medical brain, which um, supports medical affairs, their uh, uh, value brain for value access, the commercial brain, and uh, their real-world evidence. And so um, the benefit of, of owning Okra versus partnering with, with Okra Roman and and you and I have talked about this. Um, really, is our ability to ensure um, confidentiality to our clients. So we've heard from so many people. I, I've spoken to so many CEOs, um, you know, f- folks that I'm friends with for over the past twenty plus years, and they say, you know, Nick, one of the things that scares me about AI is I don't want my IP spread out all across the universe. And you know, um, EPG, we've largely been a technology company for the past, really since the, the foundation of the company with our iEnvision data vision products, suite of products. We're very used to ensuring confidentiality of client data and information. And so our ability to own the AI platform um, continues uh, the legacy of of Envision Pharma Group being a technology and tech-enabled um uh, really in commercialization and medical affairs advisory company, but it, it we're able to to ensure with much greater accuracy the confidentiality of information and intellectual property that our clients are looking for. So, you know, we've been very happy with the acquisition. Um, it's a, a company that's realizing tremendous growth and I'm sure we'll continue to do so as a foundational tool to EPG over the years to come. Yeah, I mean, the, the business certainly has and or had and continues to have a great reputation in this space. And you guys seem to get in there at just the right time before the kind of, I suppose, the, the more public explosion of AI. You mentioned obviously IP and uh, confidentiality. I think a lot of our listeners are trying to get their head around how they can leverage AI. So, you know, if I'm a, a small biotech company or even a large pharma company, what are the what are the ways are you envisaging how AI say through any of Okra's models can can in reality kind of help these businesses, like whether it's save them money, protect them more, get them to market faster. I'm sure it's all of the above. It'd be great for you to, if you don't mind just sharing kind of other potential use cases and benefits you envisage of, of actually utilizing the technology? Yeah. So, 
I'd say there's a couple things, right? I, you know, it's funny. I, I spoke to a very good friend of mine for many years. He's the CEO of, uh, um, I'd say, a small mid-sized company. It's about a billion-dollar market cap company. And you know, I, I won't say his name because um, you know the conversation was an interesting one. We were talking about AI, and he said to me, "You know, Nick, I'm going to be very frank with you. I, I don't even know what it is." I, I, and, and I don't know how to use it. And I hear all of I hear all of this news right about AI just out in the world, and I'm not even I'm not really sure how AI can impact or affect my business. Where do I use it? When do I use it? How do I use it? Right? Is it something that I have to use for the? Is it you know like a, 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 a um, you know, ongoing management of, of a disease state. Do I have to use it for the rest of the life cycle of the drug? Is it something I use in clinical trials? Is it, right? And so this conversation went on for nearly 20 minutes where he really didn't understand how to use AI. But then his biggest concern was, Nick, even if I knew how to use it, I'm afraid to use it because I don't want my IP out all over the market. Right? So these are the same conversations I have with with multiple CEOs and COOs and CTOs from a multitude of companies, from large, mid-sized and emerging type companies is the reality is most people really don't understand what it is or how to use it. How does it affect my business? And that's where we've become really, really good. Um, when, when we, when we um, integrated the, the Okra.ai into the EPG suite of services, it's not sold as a standalone technology. It's really what we have found a supportive platform that supports all of medical affairs, value access, and commercialization advisory. And, and the, what it does, right, is it's able to take mass loads of information and create insights from that information. Whether you're talking about MSL notes, whether you're talking about Congress information, um, clinical trial information, right? A multitude of information and just creates insights. But AI still requires that human intervention to convert insights into actions, solutions, right? And so I think the marriage between a really strong, highly effective AI platform married with or coupled with the human intervention, and that's true for whether it's Oprah or any other platform, Right, but it, it's got to be married with that that human intervention, which converts insights into action, and then helping our clients understand how to implement that action, how to gain more insights as a result of the outcomes of those actions, and start the process over. And, and, and so, you know, ultimately, I would say that it's not just the AI that has been successful. And again, I, I want to be fair balance. This is true for, I think, a multitude of companies that are experience the emer that experience the emergence of, of AI within their their suite of services. But for us, it's really the marriage between the technology enablement, the platform, coupled with our experienced human intervention, which creates the greatest value. And I, I think what, when I talk to people like like my 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 good friend. You know, I, I get him to understand that you're not buying an app or a software tool. You're buying an entire engagement process, which creates efficiencies, 
intelligence, and smarter decision-making. I love that. And I think many of our listeners will be skipping back and listening to that again, because I think it was a really fantastic way of summarizing the benefits of AI and the way you think about AI, not as just a single application or product, but actually, if I understood correctly, it's embedded within everything that you do that then delivers efficiency, insight, actions, and better decision-making, which is ultimately going to drive better outcomes for, for clients. So really appreciate you sharing that because I think that'll, that'll definitely help. And I think, you know, it, the way the way I explain it as well, Ramon, and it, I think it's how you've built a successful agency, frankly, right, is you're not simply a tactic shop. You're, you're a proactive, predictive um, service provider, which helps your, your clients see what's coming around the corner. That, that's always been the strength. Of, of your agency. And and I would say that that's essentially what AI is, right? Is, you know, AI with human intervention um, allows us to make smarter decisions and predict the best strategies moving forward. And, and by the way, if they're not the best strategies, then it learns, right? And it, it makes smarter decisions the next time around and the next time around. So I think that AI is simply a platform that's, that, it's a technology and a technology platform which has has come to great popularity, but there's been many companies and agencies that have really been doing this line of work for many years, but they haven't had the technology enablement to do it. It's been largely human capital driven, right? And, and I think your company is a good example of that. No, I appreciate that. And, and you, you said it kind of this was seeing around the corner. And I think that that leads nicely on if I follow that thread of where are we going in the future? And one topic that you are very vocal about and you talk about regularly, and it's clearly a passion for you, is this concept of redefining commercialization. I would love you to give our listener a bit of an overview of what that actually means and how you think about commercialization in that concept moving forward. Yeah. So, you know, so, look, sometimes it's a hot topic, right? It, it, it certainly creates debate and discussion depending on, um, you know, who, you know, who my friends or colleagues are, or who the audience is when this topic comes up. But, you know, I, I also, I, I will also preface what I'm about to say with, I've spent my entire career on the, com- largely my entire career on the commercial side of the business. Whether it was at Inventive, Cineos, whether it was at Novartis Sandoz or Amgen, um, it's it's been on the commercial side of the business, commercial strategy, even you know working in phase three trial design. Um, so I I understand the value when we talk about what commercialization was and what it is today, right? That's why I call it redefining commercialization. I've I've built a life in this in this industry on working on the, what I call the legacy definition of commercialization. 15 years ago, commercialization was about sales and marketing, right? When an asset was coming out of phase three, it was basically handed off to the commercial teams and sales and marketing ultimately dictated the go-to-market strategy for an asset. And, you know, the way I feel today is, is, and this is where, you know, it, it creates great debate is sales and marketing to me today is a tertiary tactic. 
sale commercialization, the definition of commercialization today for me is about medical affairs strategy and value access strategy. That is, in my opinion, the true definition of how you bring an asset to market is based on um, you know, the everything starting back at clinical trial design, the, the clinical differentiation and the clinical positioning of an asset as it relates to the value access world, physicians, patients and advocacy groups, um, pharmacy. And, and so, you know, I think that, that when I think about commercialization today, my primary focus, and it's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about what I do today, Ramad, is that, you know, the primary focus for me is, is what is the medical affairs strategy and what is the value access strategy? How do we create clinical differentiation, which makes a difference? How do we get this asset in the hands of patients? Not because we're really good at sales and marketing, but because we've developed an asset that has differentiated itself and we're able to leverage that science to create real value for our patients. And so, so that's why I think, and, and by the way, I, I don't think there's too many, too many folks that would really disagree with that concept of redefining commercialization. I don't think there's too many health authorities that would disagree with, with that redefinition of, of redefining um, commercialization. And so what it means is how do we empower the right functions within a pharmaceutical or biotech company, regardless of the size, large, mid-size, or emerging? How do we empower medical affairs to, to have a, a bigger say, right, a bigger seat at the table as it relates to the definition of commercializing an asset because commercialization has really been a it's been a negative connotation on what it means it's it's not just promotion and revenue generation it's it's how do we get an asset in the hand into the hands of the patients and the, and the advocates and so that has to be owned today by medical affairs and ultimately value access and so that's why you hear me speak a lot about redefining commercialization no i love it and i think you've um i think you've articulated it superbly well. And I think a lot of our audience will take that moving forward. And on that kind of, I suppose if I look at you, Nick, one of the things that defines you from my perspective, I hope you, I hope you take this as a compliment. You always try me as a deal maker. You always seem to know what's going on in the market and you've got a good kind of pulse of the market generally. And so it's obviously been quite a difficult time, particularly for the biotech market in the last year and a half or so. So as we kind of sit here at the start of 2024 looking ahead what what are you expecting from a market perspective at the minute are you expecting biotech funding to come back and you know obviously there's some big big pharma cuts going on across the sector and i think you and i had a conversation where i think you said you know, haven't been in the sector for so long this this market is cyclical right it goes up and down it goes and goes <laughs> that's just the nature of of the beast but you know, given your experience in the sector, where's your head at in terms of what the next year or two are going to look like in, in the space? Yeah. So it's a loaded question, right? I mean, there's a, there's <laughs> a, a lot of comments out there. So let's kind of start, at, let's start at a high level. First of all, I, I am really motivated um, at what I see as we continue to bring great science to the market. I mean, it, it's when you look at the number, the, the growth of orphan and rare and cell and gene 
and um, uh, innovative assets that are coming to the market. We're, we're not talking really about me too drugs anymore. Um, you know, generics still have their place. I'm still a huge advocate for for biosimilars. Um, you know, I'm disappointed at, at how biosimilars have really uh, been unable to penetrate the U.S. market to the extent I think they should have. But we're talking about innovation, and I'm I'm really optimistic at um, the high level of of really strong science that that continues to come to the market. So that's point number one. Point number two. There's still a lot of money out in the market, in, in, uh, available out in the market. Um, we talk about down economies, and but you know, really, there's really strong private equity and venture capital groups that have cash. I, I think the due diligence process has been more strict, taking a little bit longer. But good science, and I'm I'm an ever optimistic. Good science will always be funded. Good services that bring smart science to the market will always be funded. And so I'm also very optimistic in um, that there's a lot of cash, cash that needs to be spent, um, and there's good science that's looking for that cash, and, and the marriage of the two will always meet. Um, Love that. I do, believe, I, I do believe, Ramon, that, look, there's consolidation of portfolios, certainly within large biopharma. Maybe we've seen a slowing down of acquisition by large biopharma of emerging biopharma, or they've been more selective on the types of science uh, um, that they're choosing to acquire. Um, but we, we still see sizable deals being done. And so, you know, I think that uh, the, the old saying, Ramon, right? One man's, one man's trash is another man's treasure. I think that as we see, as we see large biopharma starting to focus in on assets and have the highest probability of success out in the market. They may be divesting other assets. And we're seeing other companies come in and take really viable market-ready assets from large biopharma companies. They'll acquire them and they'll take them to the market and they'll continue to find promotional opportunities. So I think that the cycle of bringing good science to the market, getting the proper funding, and continuing to manage the life cycle of noteworthy therapies, that's not broken. Does it slow from time to time? Yes. Does it, um, do, do, do the dynamics change as far as um, who the players are that are buying and selling? Yes. Do we see ebb and flow of the types of science that comes to the market with the rise of orphan and rare and the slowing of of um, uh, cell and gene or, or vice versa? Or do we see oncology and neuroscience and immunology you know, continue to rise? Yes. And so I, I think that that ebb and flow is good for the industry. I think it checks us from time to time. Um, but I, I'm still an optimist. And I think that this industry is as strong as it's ever been. And I think that you know we have really good leadership at the helm of you know, many of these companies, both large and, and emerging. Um, and so, look, I'm, I'm still an optimist when it comes to life sciences and, and human health. And, and I think there's great service companies, there's great sponsor companies. And so I, I, I never get, I never look at the negative implications of, of how the market is impacting the industry. I just think sometimes we have to adapt, um, you know, how we're, we're working together and supporting each other in order to ensure that these drugs come to market. 
that's to me the only thing that really changes. And I love your positive, uh, your positivism and your optimism and your perspective on that. I mean, I think many people will be you know, thumping their chests on the back of that. I love what you said there. You know, great science and great services that help that science will always get funded. And I think that's a, a great place. And although that would be a great place to end it, I did have one final question for you, Nick. One a kind of slightly different lane. You, you always struck me as a good leader. Like the like the teams that you've led, like I've spoke to them, I've spent time with them, and they always seem aligned. They seem passionate. They seem to want to follow the direction of travel of of Nick. Any any advice or tips for people listening around leadership lessons that that have helped you along the way? And I'm not not asking for anything textbook from. Or anything, but anything kind of more tangible or real life, or that 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 have really put you, you know, really helped you along the way. Because I think, you know, I certainly respect you as a great leader. And I know your teams do, and I think that's an area everyone's always always working on. I mean, look, I, I I appreciate you saying that. I I I don't. I would love to believe it's true. Hopefully, it's true. Um, I I think, I think my leadership style has been formed by watching really good leaders. So I'll start there. Um, I was I was once told early in my career, I was right out of pharmacy school and I, and I was told uh, by a mentor of mine, you'll learn just as much from a bad leader as you will a good leader, right? And so, and, and I wholeheartedly believe that's true and I've actually applied it um, over my career. But to answer your question directly, I think what I learned about leadership came from what I think are two of the greatest leaders in, in the pharma industry to the, today, right? One of them is um, John Harrington, who had a, a just a great career, um, and Bob Azelby, who you went from Amgen to uh, Juno to Alder, and then you know uh, you know so on. But these are two leaders that people would follow them anywhere. And and you have to ask the question: Why would why would an employee drop everything, drop the comfort of a known entity, and go somewhere to follow a leader? Right? They trust them. They know that that leader is looking out for the best interest of of their career. Um, and and there's a multitude of other reasons. But for me, what I learned is, I think treat people fair. And fair as it relates to you know equality, equality in pay, and equality in professional opportunity, equality in training and development. Um, encourage people to grow and learn. Um, some of the greatest, uh, some of the the, the greatest um, professional highlights of my career is watching people who left me to go to another job and just watch how they grew and expanded. Right? I've never held someone back from an opportunity out of the selfishness of wanting them to stay with me. And I think that um, transparency is, you know, I, I am not afraid to let my team know that, yes, there's a high bar, and, but this is what we're going to do together to get there. Um, I, I wouldn't confuse good leadership ever with you know having a soft style which focuses more on individuality versus corporate performance 
I would say they go hand in hand. I think if you treat your your colleagues right and you treat your employees right, if a company treats the employees right, that company will soar to levels that are absolutely unimaginable. And and so I think for me, it's not. I don't view it as management or leadership. I view it as as loyalty, collaboration, investment, care, and and really, I think um, teaching, training, coaching, mentoring. Um, and I, I learned all those things off of what I consider to be two of the greatest leaders. And like I said, John Harrington and Bob Azelby and, and anyone who listens to this that knows those two people will know exactly what I'm referring to. Love, love that. Some fantastic advice there. And cue lots of job applications to Envision Pharma Group for, for Nick's team, no doubt about it. Nick, honestly, this has been so much fun. I know you're an incredibly busy guy and you've made time to share your experience, your insights. Uh, I love the stuff you talked around AI and your experience of bioagilytics and obviously sharing with us you know, about leadership and where the sector is going. I'm sure our listeners are going to be skipping back and taking sound bites from today's podcast. So thank you so much for being a guest on Molecule to Market. Roman, this was, this was a great experience. This might be one of the highlights of my career now that I can talk about on my next <laughs> podcast so hey listen i wish you the best of a happy holiday to you and your family enjoy some uh enjoy a nice glass of wine in that leather chair of yours which we'll talk about in a future <laughs> podcast and um, all, all the best on all your future endeavors in 2024 i look forward to uh, seeing you in toronto wow so there you have it mr nick marasco who is executive president and chief commercial officer at envision pharma group what a superb guest and fantastic episode i suspect like me you have made lots of notes during that uh, that episode uh, nick obviously brings a perspective from across the market but obviously more on the commercialization space uh, of of the outsourcing space but what i thought was really quite fascinating was his his early experiences in the industry are obviously going from a pharmacy into industry. And I think that sponsor side time that no doubt led Nick to have kind of an empathetic and more holistic understanding that's made him a great leader in the contract services space. Uh, it was great to hear about his experience of, of building businesses. And he's clearly a, a lifelong learner in his experience as well. And in particular, that story at Bioagilytics and the journey that they were on. I encourage you to look at that business in terms of its success and what it was able to achieve. Really, really something special. Um, I thought it was interesting how Nick talked about what attracted him to Envision Group. And in particular, I think many of you may go from you know a one role and have several options on the table or even one or two. And I think the way Nick thought about why Envision Group was the right fit for him in his, at his stage of his career based on his experience. I think it's got lots of insight that many of you can take if you're in such a situation. The highlight for me, I have to say, was Nick talking about AI and the okra part of the Ambition Pharma Group business. I think for me, you know, someone still trying to get his head around AI and how it's going to impact the industry, I found it really really helpful just having someone break that down and talk about it in a way that i could really really understand um so some of the things that really popped for me 
was this idea of it working alongside kind of humans and being tech enablement with kind of human intervention, the efficiencies, the insights and actions and and decision-making part of things and ultimately it be, be becoming predictive and smarter and helping companies see what's around the corner. That to me really kind of summarized the value of where I see, see AI for pharma and biopharma companies. And the feature, it was just useful having a guest and an expert like Nick just explaining that. And I suppose the other thing that really popped for me towards the end was Nick's kind of bullishness about the market. He's a guy that's done so many deals. He's bought companies, he's sold companies, he's worked for several PE companies. He knows that side of the business, but his fundamental belief that great science will get funded and in turn that, you know, that great science will need great services from all of the service providers that many of you uh, represent in the sector, I think is a great attitude for the new year and irrespective of where the market's at. If there is great times coming through that we know are from different aspects of the market, whether it's novel modalities or whether it's just you know the orphan drug, entering the rare disease space, or just large molecule, small molecule, right across the space, um, good science is going to lead to good stuff for all of us. So yeah, I really hope you enjoyed Nick's interview today as much as I did. Um, thanks as always to my team for pulling together the episode and bringing it safely to your ears. If you like today's episode uh, or the podcast in general, then please give us a, a kind rating on your podcast store where you're listening to this and please share it with a colleague. All the best for 2024. Hi again. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. For more shows, have a look on Spotify, Apple, or Amazon, wherever you like to listen. And do make sure that you subscribe so the next episode comes direct to your device automatically. And please get in touch via our website, uh, Molecule to Market Pod, or via LinkedIn or Twitter. We love to hear from you. So if you have a guest that you want to suggest or someone in your organization, you think would make a great guest on Molecules Market, then please let us know. We'll see you very soon. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing an international content, digital, and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.